reading this morning comes from Mark, um, chapter 11, uh, reading from verses 11 to 21. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out, they went out of the city. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. This is the word of the Lord. The uh, reading we heard today from Mark's Gospel includes the uh, Jesus cursing the fig tree on the way to the temple. Uh, recently I was visiting my mum who lives over at Maitland And uh, I took her down to the hairdresser and uh, while she was in the hairdresser I was parked out under a huge tree in the main street. It was actually right in front of the Uniting Church building. And um, I was sitting there for a while so I was studying this tree and had an enormous trunk, would have been about four foot across. I can't tell you the variety of the the tree, I didn't didn't know that much, but... uh, uh, it, it was huge and it spread out, like it, it shaded all the footpath and it came out, the shade came out, out halfway over the road, over the street. Uh, but what caught my attention was this huge big trunk and right down the middle of it had this deep fault line and uh, I was there kind of thinking about it and uh, when mum came out to the car after she'd had her hair cut, I pointed out to her, I said, look at that enormous tree. I wouldn't be surprised if it split in half with that fault line going down through the trunk. And uh, anyway, a couple of days later when I was back home, I got this excited phone call from mum. Uh, She was saying, hey, you won't believe it. You know that tree? It had split in half. And uh, half of it fell on the the sidewalk, half of it fell across the road. And so I was saying to... uh, to uh, Catherine, hey, uh, that's just like Jesus and the fig tree, really, isn't it? Uh, my, my prophecy about the, the tree. 
Uh, but no, there's no, no messianic claims this morning. However, it is all about the temple, uh, the, the, the reading from Mark chapter 11. And uh, the church, of course, is the equivalent of, uh, of the temple. But, um, and it's no coincidence, talking about the temple today, that we've just got the church spruced up, its facelift, that, that's just a, a, a complete coincidence. But um, this is part of our series we're doing at the moment through Mark's Gospel, the second half of Mark's Gospel, uh, titled The Journey to the Cross. And we're looking at Jesus journeying from the cross. He declares that in the middle of Mark's Gospel, that's where I'm headed. And we see how he progresses to, to do that. And so today we're considering what the temple tells us about why Jesus journeyed to the cross and what that means for us, the difference it makes in our lives. And so I want to look this morning firstly at the question, why bother with the temple? Secondly, that Jesus trumps the temple. And thirdly, Curiously, the temple goes with us. The temple goes with us. So, firstly, why bother with the temple? In other words, what's the temple or the church got to do with the price of fish and chips? What's it got to do with everyday life? And what difference does it make to us? I guess uh, temples and even churches these days would mean little to most people living in the 21st century West. Uh, We can consider it culturally irrelevant. What's the church got to do with it? Well, why is it we would think it culturally irrelevant? Well, Jesus says there, he speaks of the temple as my house. He's actually quoting the Old Testament where it's really God saying, this is my house. And so their understanding is that in the temple, that's where God is. That's where his presence is. It's not not as though God's kind of contained within a temple building, but that's where God in worship meets with his people by his spirit. And it also says, Jesus said there, this is a house of prayer. Prayer is when we ask for God's essential help and we receive it. So do you see, we're looking for the intersection, the connection between our lives and divine life, understanding that we need that. Well, the Western world in the last couple of hundred years has basically got ridden, rid, gotten rid of that. That is God and his presence. And so in the West in the last 200 years, Science has been used to explain away God and his presence. And the development of technology, we like to think that's made God obsolete. We don't need his help anymore. We can do it all ourselves by our own ingenuity. And so do you see, for the thousands and millions of years before the last 200 years, and in every other culture in the world now, that is not the case. It's only been the last 200 years, little tiny fraction of history in the Western world. We've gotten rid of God. All other cultures and in all other times have seen better than that. And this 200-year period in the Western world was called, when it first started to develop in Europe, was called the Enlightenment. 
And so do you see the idea was, well, we're becoming superior now. We're, we're becoming more enlightened. Uh, we can solve all our problems and we're evolving into a perfect human society. That's what was said in the, uh, just before the turn of the 20th century. We're evolving into a perfect society. You know, there was a problem came up. It was called World War One. And uh, then there was another problem not too long after that was called World War Two. You know, we're evolving into a perfect society. We won't have wars and conflicts anymore. And you know what? We could be on the verge of World War Three. I mean, we, we pray and we seek that that won't be the case. But it's a possibility. So do you see what happened was this dream of human perfectibil- perfectibility was smashed. And the other problem with this enlightenment dream that we could get rid of God is that we claim that we've rejected God, yet we actually haven't. Because if you look across the Western world, interest in life and truth that is greater than what we can just scientifically observe and interest in spirituality has been booming. Check out an online bookshop under the title of spirituality and you'll see just the trove of books that are being continually written and consumed. 2021, the Australian Census uh, said that 69% of Australians believe in a spiritual world or God. And so, do you see, uh, we claim we've rejected him but we can't let go of him. Marriage, which is God's blueprint for relationships in the Bible, I guess it's mostly been generally rejected in the Western world in our time. But do you know what I find? Couples keep coming to me and coming to the church to want to be married. And so I ask them, well, why? And they'll kind of not be sure and couples will say things like, well, we, we're planning to have kids, so we want to do it before we have kids, but not really sure why. They might say, well, we want our relationship to be permanent, so we think that's got to be a part of it, but they're not really sure why. And in the end, couples are really just saying, I've got some kind of sense here, we've got some kind of sense that for our relationship to be the best that it can be, that it needs to include that. Why? Why would we still need to grab hold of God's blueprint for relationships? It's because it's programmed into our DNA. One of the uh, great saints of the church, Augustine, said to, to God, Lord God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, what he was saying is that every one of us as human beings have been made and we've got this God-shaped blank inside of us and it's got to be filled. We must have, ultimately, divine presence. We must have the meaning and help that it gives to our lives. We must make contact with divine life. And you see, that's the meaning of the temple and the church. 
That's what they're about. For those of you who have ever read the Narnia Chronicles of C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you know, the children go through the mysterious wardrobe door in their uncle's house and they go into the, the amazing world of Narnia. It's kind of like, in the story, it's kind of like heaven. It's kind of like divine life. And you see, they've just got to keep going back to it once they get a taste of it, interacting with divine life. And that wardrobe, that's like the temple. That's like the church. It's the point of contact. So do you see, if we are created for this, then the temple has everything to do with the price of fish and chips. It's got to do with our everyday lives. They won't be complete and fulfilled without it. You know, we don't come to church today just for a bit of religious culture. We come to get the life of God. That's what, why bother with the temple. Second point, Jesus trumps the temple. Well, we saw that and heard that in the story, saw it in the video depiction. Jesus walks into the temple and those who ran the temple had the courts filled up with uh, selling of, of animals and other, other goods. And uh, it was crowded, it was big business, it was a marketplace. And Jesus came in and he turned over the tables and the money changers he, uh, one of the other gospel accounts says he made a whip and drove the animals out of there. He cleared the court. Why did he do that? Well, this part of the temple, the outer courts, was known as the court of the Gentiles. What it was designed for in the central inner part of the temple was where all the, the real worship happened. This outer court was designed where outsiders could come in and get a chance to overhear what was going on. To get a chance to overhear about the goodness of God and come to receive it. But blocks had been put in their way. You see, those who ran the temple had turned it into a marketplace to make money instead. And this had actually driven out the people who didn't know God from the possibility of knowing him. Jesus said God's house was meant to be a house of prayer for the nations where all people could come in. And so what Jesus was doing was restoring that, restoring the temple to its true character, its true purpose. Jesus was bigger than the temple. He had the authority to do that. He trumped the authority of the temple as God's son and put things right. But Jesus trumps the temple in another way. The temple, as we've been hearing, is God and us coming together. And Jesus acted that out by cleansing the temple. He was getting the marketplace out so again the people and God could come together. And that was a picture of what Jesus ultimately came to fulfil and do on earth. And we're talking about that now, the journey to the cross. It was on the cross on Good Friday that it happened. You see, all the animals that were bought were being bought to sacrifice 
to God as a sign of the payment of a price that is needed for wrongdoing, for wrongdoing to be cancelled. And you see, Jesus fulfilled and trumped every sacrifice in history by willingly dying himself on the cross to pay the price for all sins, for all time, so that we may be forgiven. And you see, when he did that, he removed everything that could possibly separate us from God. He got rid of it. And in doing that, he reconciled us. He brings us back together into closest friendship with God. Only Jesus could do this. Only he could fulfil this. And so what the temple is all about, the bringing together of God and human beings, meant he had to go to the cross. He had to journey to the cross. And the reason he did that is because that's how much he loves us. And he did it as a free gift of grace for all of us. So everything the Old Testament temple was, everything every church on earth is, Jesus summed up and fulfilled in himself. So do you see what that means is Jesus is actually the ultimate temple. It's him. And that brings me uh, briefly to my final point. The temple goes with us, so... What the temple is all about, Jesus trumps the temple, the temple also goes with us. See, if Jesus is the temple, if everything that the temple is about has been fulfilled in him, then the main way that you and I connect with that, you know, this thing that we need, the connection between us and God, the main way we connect to that is by having a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. So Jesus, who is the temple, he goes with us into every part of our lives. We know that through a relationship with faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, as we were saying before, we don't just come to church to do a religious thing and then go away and leave what it's about here in the church. No, the meaning of church, God's living presence, goes with us into every part of our lives, our relationships, our work, our careers, our leisure, etc., etc., etc. And uh, just um, in finishing up, what's the fig tree all about? How does the fig tree connect with this? Well, we're meant to produce fruit. Having God in our lives brings fruit, it brings results, it brings change. Um, I was brought up in the life of the church. I guess a lot of us probably were as well. And uh, maybe most of us have had some connection at some point or another with the life of the church. And so I grew up in the church, my family were a part of it, we used to go to church on Sundays, as a kid I was involved in Sunday school and then youth group and so on. But uh, what I came to discover is though I had this contact with the church for many years, um, 
it was kind of like I did think it was just a thing that happened there in a building. And when I went away into the other six days of the week, it was just me doing my thing. And then I'd go back and do a bit of religion again. And so I had no understanding really that Jesus was a real person that I could know as closely as I can know any other human being, even though I can't see him, he's there in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can actually know him in my life, working in my life. So I didn't know that and I I went on for years like that and then uh, had a period in my life where, where I did forget about the church and walk away from it. And um, it happened to coincide with going through some times of difficulty that I experienced and, uh, and trouble in my life. Uh, not that it always is with every person, but it was with me at that time. And I happened to meet a friend who was a, a Christian and he just spoke to me about his relationship with Jesus and it kind of blew my mind. I didn't know that was possible. And uh, at one point we were, we were praying. I asked him to pray for me and uh, it was like, um, it was a Pentecost experience. Um, what I thought was just in a church building suddenly became alive and I, I felt and knew the power of the Holy Spirit touching me. That, that, that's no exclusive or spooky thing. That's something that simply every Christian can know. And it was, you know, God being just out there somewhere or away in heaven, all of a sudden, smack, he was in my face and he was in my, in my heart, in my gut. And, and I knew everything had, everything changed. I changed, the world changed. And, uh, you know, what I know is that what that did was that uh, the life I thought was just me trying to work it out was no longer that Jesus, the guy who created the universe, had a real plan for my life and he was leading me on it and he was going to bring it to fulfilment. And I knew that that's something that he had done, not just for me, but for everyone. And so every single one of us can know that too. It's the best thing in the universe. It's yours. Take hold of it. God our Father, you have made us for yourself. You've made Oliver for yourself. You've made each one of us for yourself. And Father, our hearts will be restless until we know you are in us. And that can be true whether we are two years old or whether we're 80 years old or 90. And Father, we need to be filled with your presence and your love and your spirit again and again and again. And so we pray, Father, that you would fill us again today. We would know that we have met face to face with you, that you've 
entered our lives. And lead each each one of us, Father, on that great adventure that you have planned for each of us. Amen.